Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Welcome to our program, a place where we enjoy taking Bible questions, even controversial Bible questions, even disturbing Bible questions. We don't shy away from them. And today's passage you may find especially disturbing. In fact, I guarantee you will. I did the first time I saw it. I am going to read from a brief portion of Scripture. This is Jesus himself talking, part of his very first sermon, the sermon where he kicked off and launched his ministry. We refer to this as the Sermon on the Mount. As you will see, Jesus was not one to tell people only what they wanted to hear. He wasn't a politician making empty promises. He wasn't concerned about popularity or the numbers in his movement. In fact, he's putting all cards on the table right from the start, quite aware that many in the crowd might decide not to follow him as a result of what he's saying because he's not tickling their ears. Yes, this portion from the Sermon on the Mount, this brief passage of scripture, is one of the least popular. Even Christians just wish it wasn't there because it says things about the possible future of their friends, their loved ones. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Okay, this is an analogy. How about some background for the analogy? Cities in those days were surrounded often with walls, and the way of entry through those walls was a gate. Gates provided access to great roads that could easily accommodate a crowd, that is, some gates, the big gates, the public gates, but others were for more private purposes. They were narrow. They could only let a few in at a time. My friends, What Jesus is saying here is very grave. Most people are going to hell after they die. Not heaven, hell. There will be people in heaven, but more people will be in hell. That's not what we think today. In fact, some people believe everybody will be in heaven. There isn't even a hell. But amongst those who believe in hell, it's certainly more comforting to believe that more people will be in heaven. I know this sounds depressing. Let me put it in a little bit of context. Let me cheer you up as much as I can. That doesn't mean there won't be a lot of people in heaven. There'll be many people in heaven. There'll be millions upon billions in heaven. There will still be a lot. I don't know how many, but we do know there will be a lot. We know this from a vision that the apostle John received of heaven, part of the book of Revelation. I'm reading now from Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After this, I looked and there before me was a great great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. The Lamb is identified in Revelation as Jesus. This is a vision. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So there are going to be many in heaven. Notice there's no number given. We're not told how many will be in heaven. We're not told how many will be in hell. But whatever the number, there'll be plenty in both places. More, however, will be in hell. Why is this? Well, there are two reasons given in the scripture. One, human nature. 
And two, the human tendency to follow other men rather than following God. A couple of scriptures on the condition of man, Romans 3, 23 through 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin means selfishness. We've talked about this on other radio shows. Not self-esteem, but the kind of selfishness where we're putting ourselves first. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Now, as you see, salvation is offered to all. And it's offered free. We could be forgiven. Boy, with an offer like that, you'd think everybody would end up in heaven. They deserve hell. Everybody deserves hell. But you'd think everybody would end up in heaven, which is what God would prefer. But that's not what people are choosing. Meanwhile, more on human nature. Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So the road to God, the road to heaven, the road to forgiveness, salvation for all of eternity, is through Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for our sins, his resurrection from the dead. Why will most people not take God up on that offer? Well, human nature tends to follow the pack and follow the crowd rather than following God, even after God does incredible things. Look at the miracles God did, the plagues on Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea. He had just done all that stuff, but because Moses was taking more time on the mountain, 40 days and 40 nights, more time than they were comfortable with, they started thinking, well, maybe the God of Moses isn't God after all, and they built this golden calf, and I've said this before, they weren't thinking that they were building a God. They were thinking they were building a representation of some Egyptian god that existed in the heavens that looked like a calf. So they were dumb. They just weren't quite as dumb as we think. But they were dumb enough to be following this golden calf representation. And Moses came down and only the Levites, only his own tribe turned to him. There were 12 tribes. The majority was in the wrong. In fact, this is why the tribe of Levites were made the priests. Originally, the priests were going to be every firstborn son in Israel, no matter what tribe they were born in. But because the Levites were the only tribe that followed the true God, that all changed. Yes, human nature follows the crowd, and it wasn't just in the Old Testament. It was in the New Testament. On the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the day we frequently refer to as Palm Sunday, people were ecstatic. They were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is him who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus had been the biggest thing for the last three years, and here he was in Jerusalem on the week of the Passover, and that same crowd one week later was shouting, crucify him. Now why? Because Jesus allowed himself to get arrested. They were expecting him to come in as a warrior and as a king. They weren't expecting a Messiah to die for their sins, although as we've proven in some of our shows about the Messiah, dying for their sins and rising from the dead was what the Messiah was supposed to do first. 
Many of their scribes had already understood that in the past, but in the present, they were looking for a warrior to beat the Romans. And with all the miracles Jesus had done, they were quite confused that he allowed himself to get arrested. But that's not the only reason. A lot of the people in the crowd were still feeling a loyalty to Jesus, but the religious rulers of the day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, those were the priests, the corrupt priests, the corrupt teachers. Now, a lot of them later on gave their lives to Jesus, so we don't want to vilify them too much, but they were sure villains at this time. And we're told that they went out and worked the crowd. We've seen this working of the crowd. I grew up on Westerns like the Virginian, the Big Valley, Bonanza. Anybody that grew up with Westerns or has ever seen a Western, there's this one story that's repeated about five or six times per season where somebody, one of the heroes, either Nick Barkley or Little Joe or Hoss, they're accused of murder. They're innocent, but they're accused. And then this crowd gets together and they go over to the sheriff's office where the jail is and they start shouting, Sheriff, you sent him out here. We ain't waiting for that circuit judge. We want to hang him now. Pete was a friend of mine. Wasn't he a friend of yours? And they're like, oh, yeah. That's what crowds do. We see it in the Western. That's actually what happened to Jesus. They worked the crowd. My friends, the majority is usually wrong. Throughout history, the majority has been wrong far more than it has been right. There was a time when the majority of people thought slavery was okay. Even the majority of the people who originally colonized America, they thought slavery was okay. The great civilizations, the Greeks, the Romans, thought slavery was okay. In many places in the Middle East, they continue to have slavery today. And there are slave labor camps in China and North Korea. But for the most part in our Western world, we're very much used to the idea that slavery is evil. There was a time when the abolitionists speaking out were the few and the brave. It is human nature to follow the crowd, not God, and it is human nature to sin, and therefore it is human nature to reject even the offer of our sin being forgiven if the crowd is teaching us something politically correct or woke or different. And that is why more people will end up in hell than heaven. This is Bob Siegel with a lot of help from the Bible, making the obvious obvious.